When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week, we're resharing one of our favorite shows in case you missed it the first time around. Or go to singletracks.com slash podcast to access more than 150 back episodes. We'll be back next week with a brand new show. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by Steo. Steo makes functional mountain lifestyle apparel for both the epic and everyday moments in life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Greg and Aaron and I are going to be talking about getting faster on the descents on your mountain bike. So a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, becoming a better mountain bike climber. So today we're going to talk about getting down the mountain faster, and we've got a bunch of tips and bike setup ideas and things like that to share. So we're really stoked about getting started with that. So right off the top of the list, Greg, one of the things that you recommended is working on your vision and looking down the trail. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything in mountain biking begins with good vision. And by vision, I basically mean where your eyes are looking, the information you're taking in, and the things that you're focusing on. Especially when descending, stuff comes at you really fast, but uh, you're still focusing on certain things and your mind is still taking information, even if you're not necessarily consciously aware of it. So there's a few different things that go into it. And the first one is the faster you're going, the further ahead you need to look. So this is a pretty big change from vision when we were talking about climbing earlier. Yeah, it's something I have to consciously remind myself of as well is to, you know, look further down the trail. And like you said, the faster you go, the further you need to look. So that's uh, something you you just have to drill into your head to keep looking further and further down the trail. And the further down you look, the the faster you will go. So it's a, a reinforcing cycle. And so that plays into all the other stuff with vision, which another key item is basically you don't want to focus on obstacles. You really want to let your peripheral vision do its work. And this plays into again, going fast where you need to be looking way down the trail. So you can't be looking at that rock at your front tire or you're going to get into world of hurt. But even if your primary vision focus is way down the trail, your peripheral vision is still doing its job. And there's a few skills you can uh, work on to sort of test that out and see how that works. But basically, even if you're not consciously aware of it, you're still seeing those rocks in your periphery and your body that's been trained through years of riding mountain bikes knows what to do and knows how to handle those. So you really got to trust that as you're descending. Yeah. Another important thing is to, you know, they say, look, look where you want to go. Don't look where you don't want to go. Cause if you, you know, you start focusing on an obstacle, chances are you're going to run into that thing. So if you're like, Oh man, there's that big rock. I don't want to hit that rock. And you keep looking at that rock. You're going to ride into that rock. Yeah, I think I remember learning that in driver's ed too. They said the same thing, like just look down the road, don't, you know, rubberneck and look at everything around you. And we're also, you know, we're talking about obstacles, but another thing that 
can get people into trouble is like a trail with a lot of exposure. So if you're riding single track and there's like a huge drop off on one side, you know, naturally you're going to want to look at that drop off and be like, Oh, that's scary. But if you can keep your vision locked on the trail in front of you, uh, you can go a lot faster, a lot more safely. Yeah. I almost went off of a side of a very narrow trail just two nights ago on our night ride. And it was one of those where, you know, I don't know. So generally when we start riding in the high country, I sort of have to retrain myself how to go fast again because, uh, the trails up there are just so much faster than the stuff we have down low. So <laughs> I almost rode off the edge, but barely saved it. Another thing to think about when we're talking about obstacles is, especially on extremely technical trails, if you're trying to go really fast, is to basically visually dissect the trail into big chunks that you need to accomplish. So instead of looking at every single rock in the rock garden, which we already said you shouldn't do, but you may see an entire rock garden instead of thinking about the bits and pieces of the rock are and the individual components, you ask yourself, okay, how do I navigate through this entire feature as fast as possible? And that could open up interesting line choices you would never considered. One example could be uh, just blasting straight through the entire thing and just sort of treating it as one big block that you sort of have to rough through. Another thing could be potentially popping off of an angled rock at the top of the rock garden and jumping over the entire thing and not having to navigate it whatsoever. But this applies to a lot of, you know, your vision and your mental input at speed. So you want to look at the entire set of trail in front of you and decide what motions will bring you through it as quick as possible. And this can even be like long straightaways, you know, rollers, jumps, doubles, you name it, this sort of idea applies to that. Basically, you're looking for the fastest line to the end of wherever you can see, which is usually the next corner. Right. I like that. I, I have a problem with going fast on really technical stuff. And I like that idea of not focusing on every little move that I need to make, but rather just having a general idea of the path that I want to take through the whole thing and getting out to the other side. Yeah. Part of that is trusting your equipment as well and you know getting comfortable on it and realizing what your bike can can take because you know a lot of it just comes down to that like just getting really comfortable with your setup because it's you know we all see these videos of these amazing riders doing things on bikes that we could go out and buy and you know maybe they're hitting 50 60 foot gaps on you know a bike we have in our garage and there's no way we'd ever do that but you know you got to kind of keep it in perspective like these bikes these days can withstand a lot of abuse and if you have them set up properly and they're working properly and they're you know everything's safe on it um you know you kind of be surprised what what the bikes will carry you through if you just let them yeah i definitely want to get back to that and talk about bike setup and configuring bikes uh, for maximum speed on descents but before we get there let's talk about uh some technique stuff this might be a little challenging since we're on a podcast here and you can't see us demonstrating everything but uh we'll do and we this. are yeah yeah we are doing it we're like air motioning stuff. we're all on bikes right now yeah <laughs> all right so the the first thing the the buzzword that you'll hear a lot when you're talking about technique and body positioning is the attack position so what's what's the attack position how's that work so there's a lot of uh features that you need to do to get your body into proper attack position. But the idea is to have your body in a position where it's ready to respond to whatever the trail throws at you, basically attack the trail. So you're not passive, you're sort of in an aggressive position. 
Um, the first thing you need to do is drop your saddle. That's number one pretty much on uh, everything to do with descending. You can't descend properly with your saddle all the way up to the sky. And I know that might be uncomfortable for some people, but that's that's basic. You can descend with your post up, but you know, you know, definitely having it lower makes things easier, makes it more comfortable. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about catching your saddle in an uncomfortable position. And uh, you know, arguably, it's safer. Um, I think because if you're more confident and more more comfortable, chances are you're going to ride faster and do it more safely. You know, but the main thing, like Greg said, is you know, dropping the saddle is going to lower your center of gravity. Yeah, so you want to get low over the bike. Let's just d- jump down there quick. So that's the number one thing that your saddle dropping allows you to do is to get that weight super uh, low, which um, provides you a bunch of benefits. Yeah, so you want your you know you want your elbows bent, you want your chest low, nips to the grips, as I like to say. You know, having that nice wide stance is on the bars is also going to give you more control. So in addition to uh, you know lowering your center of gravity. That's going to help you as you're bashing through rocks and stuff. It's going to help you stay on your chosen line better. You know, if you have your, if you're sitting upright and you have your elbows tucked in, if you're tagging rocks, they're going to have more of a chance to jerk your handlebars one way or the other. Whereas if your elbows are nice and wide, you don't have to fight the front end of your bike nearly as much. And, you know, you're also getting, again, getting low over the bike. You want to bend your knees and your elbows, and that gives more space for the bike to move around uh, beneath you. You know, so your body, think about it, it's kind of additional suspension. You know, so you have your suspension on your bike working, but then your arms and your legs are also there to help absorb impacts from the trail. Yeah, I've been told as well, in addition to bending your knees to keep, yeah, like a wide stance with your uh, knees as well, kind of keep your hips wide, um, again, so you can let the bike sort of flow in between your legs, you know, no matter what comes up on the trail. Yeah, if you want to see that technique personified, go look up videos of Bryn Atkinson. Yeah, he's got the real kind of like bow-legged style. It's actually a... It's like he's riding a horse. Kind of, yeah, yeah. That's actually, that's how I've always ridden. I mean, some some people don't have quite as wide a stance and they kind of steer more, uh, they can steer more with their feet. But uh, yeah, if you really want to, see that technique in action um you know Bryn's a, a former world cup downhill racer and you know all around badass so if you just want to watch some fun videos and see really good descending technique check his stuff out so another thing you need to do with your weight you know we talked about getting your weight low but you always want to keep it centered over the bottom bracket so this means a lot of different things and that's but it's the key to basically your weight distribution as you descend. So one false thing that a lot of people say is to get your weight back when you're descending. That's total BS. You need to throw that idea out the window right now. You want your weight centered over the bottom bracket pretty much at all times. Sometimes a really steep descent that may look like you're over the rear tire, but if you draw a line down from your core, think about your navel being your center of gravity, it should stay right above the bottom bracket pretty much all times. It's possible the bottom bracket might look like it's below the rear tire and you're over the rear tire, but again, you're staying right over that BB. So, Yeah, that would have to be a really steep hill. That yeah. would be like, a, <laughs> it'd be like a wall that you're writing down. Yeah, I think that's where that advice kind of runs into problems is people think you need to get way back, but that's really only on really, really steep terrain and 
sadly, most of us don't have access to that kind of terrain, or if we do, it's not for any extended period of time. Um, you know, if you're going down something that steep, chances are it's only for, you know, a matter of seconds. So yeah, hanging way off the back of the bike is not a good idea. Typically. I think part of the problem there too, is if you don't have a dropper post. So if you're like me and you got a tall saddle, the only way to get lower is to go back and behind your saddle versus, you know, you're not going to like, like get over the top tube or anything. So I think that's where that plays in. And that's why it's like old advice too, because now with the dropper post, you don't have to move backward. You just sit down and get to where you need to be. Yeah. This, so having your seat dropped out of the way allows you to put your body in the exact correct position. Um, like Jeff was saying, because back in the day, you basically only had like two different spots. You could have your body one was too far back and one was often too far forward and dangerous. You don't want to, you don't want to <laughs> straddle that top tube. I can tell you that. So another issue with having your weight bias too far backwards um, is that you don't have enough brake power. So we're, we'll talk about braking more, but 70% of your brake power is uh, with your front brake. So if you have your weight too far back, you're not weighting that front wheel and you're not able to actually slow yourself down well enough. And uh, you can have issues with steering too. Yeah, right. So yeah, if you're too far back, you're not going to be able to properly weight that front wheel, as Greg said, in the turns. And that can lead to understeer or like a pushing feeling where, um, you know, you feel like you're steering the bike, but it's not turning as sharply as you want it. And that's because you don't have enough weight on that wheel. So your tack position when it comes to your feet um, changes as you're descending. I mean, the pedals are always in motion, but there are a few different key positions that all sort of become a tack position um, with your cranks. So generally, if you're straight lining, you want your cranks horizontal with your power foot wherever you want your power foot to be. That's a little personal um, decision, but you know, having them flat gives you more ground clearance. But then when you're cornering, you know, you want that outside foot down to weight that tire and weight that, you know, keep your center of gravity around the BB, which we'll talk a little bit more about. But uh, the number one bit of advice, if you really want to descend fast, is to keep those pedals moving, is number one bit of advice is to pedal more. I know that's a shocker, but you'd be amazed at how much pedaling the pro enduro racers do. Just watch a top to bottom helmet cam like video for a winning enduro race segment. Listen to the dude breathing and working and see him working his bike and you'll be amazed at how much pedaling they do. And uh, a lot of people think they just coast down the hills and they're going to go fast, but you need to stay on those pedals if you really want to go fast. Yeah, and kind of along those lines, um, you know, pumping is often overlooked. Uh, so you can pump in places where you can't pedal. So let's say there's a really rooty or rocky section and you're at speed. And if you pedal, you're going to clip a pedal and go tomahawking over the bars. That's obviously not ideal, but you can, you know, you can pump your bike so you can push your weight down and uh, gain some free speed that way as well. Yeah. So while we're on the subject of pedal position, uh, let's talk a little bit about cornering. So cornering has a little bit different technique than straight lining going straight down a hill. So what are some ways we can get faster at cornering? So yeah, going fast down straightaway is easy. The trick is to go fast around the corners. That is where that is the key. And you can probably spend a lifetime perfecting your cornering technique. It it varies so much from corner to corner and what you're doing, but uh, in a nutshell, here's a basic breakdown of how to corner at speed. So if you're coming into a corner hot, you want to break before the corner. You don't want to be breaking in the corner. Um, so break, drop speed before the corner, but not too much speed. 
and you want to look through the corner as much as possible towards your exit. Then as you come in, you drop your outside pedal, and this allows you to get and keep your weight over the BB and engage those tires. As you come into the corner, you lean your bike into the corner. Again, this is why you want to have your chest low to the bars because if your chest is high and away from the bars, you won't be able to move anymore. So you need to have the chest low to the bars so you can start pushing that inside hand down. Now, as you start leaning your bike, you simultaneously need to swing your core or center of gravity towards the outside of the corner. Since you're already looking at your exit, or you should be, think about lining your body up with your line of sight. Another way to think about it is pointing your navel, which is uh, your center of gravity, at the exit of the corner. And if you think about a corner, if you keep your body straight, you're actually pointing out of the corner and off the trail. You need to keep your body pointing where you essentially want your bike to end up eventually. So essentially by moving your center of gravity, you're getting away from the top tube of the bike. But again, we're talking about keeping your weight over the bottom bracket earlier. So all this does is keep your weight, keep your weight over the bottom bracket. Because again, we're leading the bike, so you've got to move your weight to keep it over the BB and not the top two. And that can be a difficult thing to do if you're not used to. Good thing to practice. By so keeping your weight over the bottom bracket, you keep that weight driving into the tires, which maintains traction, which is essentially what you're looking for. And then as you exit the corner, begin to straighten out. Now it's time to put power down again as soon as possible and get back up to speed. So again, it's cornering is really what all of mountain biking is about. So there's a heck of a lot that can really go into it. Yeah, clearly there's a lot going on with cornering and a lot to keep in mind. And like you said, it's something that could take a lifetime of practice. So what are some drills that people can use to get faster on their mountain bikes? One of the easiest ways is probably to ride with people that are faster than you. You know, you don't want someone with a, a huge disparity in skill level because they may take you into a line that your skill can't ride. So, you know, find someone that's either just slightly faster than you or maybe if they're way faster than you, ask them to throttle back a little bit. But, yeah, you know, sometimes just by seeing someone do something, uh, seeing someone else do something, you realize that it's possible. So like maybe you think you're really tearing this corner a new one and you're hitting it so fast and then you ride behind your buddy and you're like, oh, whoa, like that's a better line or like, you know, he braked sooner or, or something, you know, something about it. Like you realize like, oh, wow, I can take this corner faster. And again, like going to the the uh, line choice thing, it, uh, following someone faster than you typically means they're taking better lines as well. So if you ride behind them, you can see what those lines are. Yeah, I definitely have seen that for myself as well. You know, a lot of times if I ride a trail by myself or with someone who's not quite as skilled as me, you know, I'll look at stuff and be like, oh, nobody could ever ride that. And then I'll ride with somebody and see them do it. And then I'll do it. And I'll be like, oh, wait, not only could somebody do it, I could do that. And I was just, you know, wasn't seeing the line, like you said, or some of the stuff too, you know, I'll look at it as, oh, I can roll over that. But then you follow behind someone who just launches off of it. And they land it and it looks easy. So you give it a try and you can do it too. Uh, another thing that we talk about a lot is sessioning. So practicing certain types of obstacles over and over. What's your take on that, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the climbing episode as well because, uh, you know, sessioning is just it's a really good way to just, you know, do a drill, just do something over and over and over again um, until you've got it perfected. Uh, you know, so this could be, you know, drops, it could be 
a jump, it could be a log hop or anything like that. You know, just hit these things on your local trails uh, until you're comfortable doing it at speed. And, you know, once you have these things dialed in at home, they aren't going to phase you when you hit them on an uncertain trail, you know, when you're already going max speed. What other kind of practice tips do you have, Greg? So this might seem really basic or kind of dumb, but you should, if you want to go really fast, you need to practice going fast. And like I said, it might seem very basic, but most riders, when they descend, they aren't actually doing everything they possibly can to go as fast as possible. And if you're really trying to descend faster, if you want to, you know, maybe race enduro or something of that nature, you need to put everything that you have into those descents, apply all the skills you have. That's handling the bike as much as possible. That's staying up on the pedals, throwing the pedal strokes wherever you can and, even one of the most basic things is like not stopping on a descent. You know, lots of times we stop and regroup or we do something like that. If you really want to get fast, you got to hammer, you know, and the more comfortable you get with pinning though, uh, the better you'll be and the better you'll be able to react. But if you're doing this on multi-use or popular trails, you know, you really need to stay heads up. A good thing to do is to go and practice and train on off-peak time. So it could be during the day, middle of the week, or something of that nature. Because, you know, being conscious of other trail users and being a responsible trail user is your number one priority above and beyond going fast. Yeah, one one thing I'll say along those lines, yeah, you really do need to practice going fast if you want to go fast. And I've done a handful of enduro races, and one of the things that I've kind of learned is Oftentimes with enduro races, like you get to the, you know, you get to the start of a stage and you have to wait around for a while before your chance to go. And there's not really, you know, you might cool all the way down. Your legs are cold. So you kind of want to ease into your run. I mean, you definitely want to be getting after it, but you don't want to like right off the line, spike yourself and pin your heart rate to 200 because then you're just going to blow yourself up and you're going to, you're going to struggle the whole rest of the descent, especially if there's any, you know, little rises, which a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of enduro race stages do have like, you know, very short climbs within them. So yeah, ease into your, ease into your race run, I guess I would say. Yeah. So another thing that I found helpful is riding downhill. So for me, I'm, a cross country rider, trail rider now, I guess is, is what they call it. Cause nobody does XC anymore. Just kidding. But you know, the first few times that I did it, um, I headed to a resort and quickly realized that I didn't know a thing about descending, you know, it was just so foreign to me. And so practicing downhill definitely gives you those skills. And while you may not need all of that stuff for your regular everyday trail ride, or maybe even some enduro rides, uh, it is really helpful stuff to know. And it has, it has a lot of crossover for just making you fast in general, even if you're not at a, a lift serve trail or at a resort. Yeah. And riding downhill is just fun too. So all bike parks, pretty much all bike parks are going to have progressive terrain and features. That means they're going to have green trails and blue trails and black trails and double black diamond trails. And so they're going to have, you know, progressive features, meaning like on the, on the green trails, they're going to be pretty tame. Uh, you know, very low consequence on the blue trails, you'll kind of get a little bit bigger features and oftentimes there'll be multiple options. And then when you get to the black diamond trails, there's, you know, mandatory gap jumps and things like that. So it's really kind of cool to go and see how over a weekend of riding downhill, like how fast your skills can progress just because you're just turning lap after lap after lap. And you're seeing the, 
you know, the same feature or the same corner or the same obstacle, whatever it is, like every time down, it's in the same spot. So like you really get comfortable with hitting those things. And, you know, just that repetition, again, it's like sessioning, you know, just that repetition allows you to get better really quickly. And another thing to think about with the DH park is if your goal isn't necessarily to ride like a full blown, like dual crown DH bike really fast, but you're training in the park, maybe for enduro racing or just descending really quickly on your trail bike, take that bike to the park too, you know, and that allows you to learn how your bike that you're going to be doing whatever race or event on um, handles these individual features because a big bike can do a heck of a lot and it can maybe cover up some shortcomings you have but if you're trying to hit same features on like a 140 mil bike that definitely changes things too yeah that's a great tip i like that a lot of people do assume that they need a downhill bike to ride a bike park but you can ride whatever you want Uh, it's just going to affect like you said the way that you ride some of the features We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, so stay tuned. Steo is a brand mountain bikers may not be familiar with yet, but the company's mission of designing technical, functional products infused with mountain soul is one I think all of us can appreciate. I tested the Steo OPR shorts this spring and found they vented really well. Yet, looking at the shorts, you probably wouldn't even notice the vents designed to open when pedaling or the strategic laser cutouts. And that's the point. Their products are designed for epic and everyday moments. Head over to steo.com slash singletracks to check out their entire pedal collection. That's S-T-I-O dot com backslash singletracks. Okay, so we've mentioned a couple times uh, about braking so far. Uh, let's talk specifically about techniques as they relate to braking uh, in terms of making us faster. Number one, brake as little as possible. Again, this might seem basic, but lots of people um, drag on their brakes when they don't need to be. So when you're braking, don't just like sort of ride your brakes to control your speed. Instead, brake in big doses. So go as fast as possible. And then if you're trying to go as fast as possible through an obstacle, you need to brake as late as possible while still providing yourself enough time to slow sufficiently. Now, be aware that this could um, have negative consequences for the trail. So certain types of braking, you know, are only advisable on uh, in-race situations or on a close course, something of that nature. But if we're talking the maximum, that's how you need to go. So again, when it comes to corners, brake before the corner, not in the corner. Pedal through the corner if you can, you know, and then power out the other side. Another tip is to use both brakes. Again, we talked that about before that your front brake has 70% of the braking power. So throw the don't use your front brake because you'll endo garbage out the window. That's another horrible piece of advice. Instead, use both your brakes together and modulate them to provide the exact effect you want. An example is if you do come into a corner too hot, and you need to brake, you don't want to use as much front brake in your corner because you'll have a loss of front wheel traction, which is not good. So more rear brake is advisable in that situation. Yeah, and just a couple notes on what Greg said. Yeah, When you brake before an obstacle, another benefit to that is you get on the brakes hard before it and then let off, and that's going to allow your suspension to work better well because you know braking is going to affect your suspension performance, particularly in the rear. So that's something else to consider. And, you know, the reason, you know, when you, why you shouldn't break in mid corner is because 
of physics. When you try to stop the wheel, it makes the wheel want to stand straight up. So obviously, if you're turning and you're leaning the bike, that's the exact opposite of what you want to happen. Uh, so yeah, don't brake mid-corner if at all possible. And also when you're braking, if you drop your heels, that really helps drive the rear wheel, helps that drive the, the tread of the rear tire into the ground and really gives you good bite for braking. Yeah, while we're talking about braking, one of the sort of practice things that I do every now and then is to ride a trail and to really consciously try to use the brakes as little as possible. And by doing that, yeah, I really focus on using the brakes only when I need to and trying to conserve momentum throughout the rest of the course. Because not only is it going to make you faster, it's also going to help you save energy so you're not, you know, over braking and then having to pedal to get back up to speed. You know, if you can lay off the brakes more, you're, you're going to go faster. All right, let's talk about line selection. We touched on this at the very beginning, talking about vision uh, but what are some other tips for picking the best lines to make us go faster? So one general idea is to don't try to avoid obstacles in your path. Instead, try to go straight over them, whatever that means. Uh, this could sometimes be a bit more difficult, but it's pretty much always the fastest route. And uh, oftentimes it ends up being easier than trying to negotiate your way around something. So a good example could be a big boulder in a trail. And most people might see the boulder and go around it. And there might be a bypass line around it, but you know, especially if it has a relatively sloping face or something, riding straight up and over it is going to be easier and faster than slowing down to move around. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you definitely want to be on top of the obstacle because when you start trying to, you know, ride in between obstacles, that's when you start ripping off rear derailers and, you know, bending rotors and, scraping up your rear triangle and stuff like that so if you can go over the top definitely that's that's the way to go and another one that kind of i think greg touched on this earlier is you know when in doubt air it out you know sometimes the fastest way through a particular section is to just jump over the entire thing uh you know if there's like a short patch of roots or rocks just bunny hop all of them and then you don't have to pick a line through it but when you're airing stuff out, uh, you don't want to get too much air. Now, this isn't a problem I have, but uh, I remember setting up <laughs> at an enduro race to shoot some photos of the pros coming over uh, like a big tabletop. And the photos all really sucked because the pros basically scrubbed over these tables. So instead of jumping up and catching a lot of air, they, they made it all the way to the landing, but they basically jumped out and tried to stay as low as possible so they'd move as fast as possible. So you know when you jump, uh, if you're trying to go as fast as possible, you know, you're not trying to get air, you're just trying to get to wherever you're going in the shortest line that you can. Another thought with, you know, we're talking about going over obstacles, jumping things, different things. Generally, if we're, if you're trying to descend as fast as possible, the fastest line is almost always the straightest line. Now there's some exceptions, but you want to straighten things out as much as you can. So lots of times, a good example is lots of times there would be like sort of an outer line that sort of loops around maybe a chunk of rocks or there's a little bit of a corner and there's like a big rock garden in the middle of it. The rock garden in the middle might be objectively a more difficult line, but going straight through said rocks could be way, way faster than trying to get around them. So straightening out the trail is critical. And sometimes you'll see enduro racers that actually cut course doing this. So, you know, you want to be you want to still be a good trail user while doing that. Yeah, ride, ride as far to the inside as possible without you know widening the trail or cutting new lines. All right, one final question. 
about technique. Are skills clinics helpful? Have either of you guys taken one of those? And if so, what'd you think? I would say they're pretty massively helpful. I uh, Most of the information I'm relating here, I first heard it verbalized to me at a Better Ride skills clinic. And it was a, it was a beginner skills clinic that's basically auditing for single tracks. And, you know, I thought I was awesome, you know, and I came into this skills clinic, but man, I took so much away that I had never heard taught that way before, you know, and a few of these things were things that I sort of picked up intuitively, but uh, especially with the vision, my vision was not where it needed to be to really go fast. So there's a lot you can learn from somebody better than you, but also somebody better than you that's trained to teach it to you. Yeah, it seems like there are a lot more opportunities these days as well to get that training, uh, no matter where you live. So, you know, we're seeing a number of different companies offering this, uh, like the Ninja Skills Clinic and uh, others operating. A lot of these are on the West Coast, but we are starting to see more of them on the East Coast as well, which is really awesome. Okay, so moving on to equipment. Uh, let's talk about bike geometry and cockpit setup. You guys have any ideas on this, like how th we could use that to our advantage to get faster? Wide bars in a short stem, but not too wide of bars. But, you know, this used to be like a hidden secret back in the day, but now pretty much all the bikes are coming like that. So it's not as much of a revelation anymore. Pretty much everybody's agreed. Yeah, and I mean, there's certain things you can do with your bike geometry, but uh, I mean, most of the time that's, it just, your bike comes how it comes and there's not a whole lot you can adjust about it. I mean, certain bikes can accept things like angle adjust headsets where you can either make your head tube angle st steeper or slacker. Um, obviously, if you're doing more descending, you probably want a slacker head tube angle and that's going to increase your your wheelbase, which will give you more stability at speed, and uh, the slacker head tube will make you uh, more confident when the trail gets really steep. Right. So the other big piece of the puzzle in terms of getting faster on your bike setup is the suspension. One question people ask a lot is, how much travel do I need? I guess the follow-up question to that, too, is will more travel make you faster going down? So the second question is pretty easy to answer, and generally the answer is... Not necessarily. It, it can depend on the trail. So this is a complex question because you've got to decide what your goal is when you're out riding. Like, are you trying to descend faster in the middle of an XC race to make up more time? Well, then you want an XC bike and you just want to learn how to ride that bike faster. If you're trying to do an enduro race, you know, then you're only getting timed on the descent. So you want to do whatever you can to maximize that speed. So you have to decide what your goal is first. But even if you're, say, racing enduro, just having more travel won't necessarily make you faster. There's lots of enduro races out there. There being one on 120 mil to 140 mil bikes. You know, And nowadays, most people are calling enduro bikes like 160 to 170. So those wouldn't even qualify as quote-unquote enduro in the marketing parlance, yet people are winning enduro races on them. And not even easy enduro races, but like, Keystone, you know, like resort based enduro races on 120 millimeter 29ers. So, uh, but that again comes back to like, even when you're descending to descend as fast as possible, you need to be on the pedals. And if you're riding a 170 mil bike, you're going to have the same pedaling deficits essentially that you would while climbing, even though you're descending. So uh, that's something to think about. But 
generally having a full suspension bike over a hardtail is going to be a benefit. Personally, I find that with less travel, especially like on XC hardtail, I just start breaking stuff, you know, whether it's flat tires, blown up wheels, derailleurs, dropping chains, all kinds of stuff. And suspension helps keep me from breaking stuff. And uh, I also find it to be a bit of a safety policy. Having at least some suspension really does a world of good for keeping your bike on its line and tracking straight through the rough stuff. But exactly how much you choose is complicated. Right. I was going to say something similar too with suspension and it ties back into the idea of keeping the bike on the ground and not wasting your velocity, you know, trying to get airborne, but suspension is going to be what keeps your tires tracking with the ground. And overall that's going to make you faster when you're going down. Yeah. And we, I think we've talked about this in uh, other episodes, but you really just have to be honest with yourself about you know, how you ride and the terrain that you're going to be on most often, because you know, it is nice to have a little bit of a, of an extra cushion, you know, a little bit of, like Greg said, a little bit of extra insurance because sometimes you may not hit the, the line just right or you may come up on a drop you didn't expect or something like that. It is nice to have that little extra cushion there. But at the same time, if you live in Florida, like, do you really need a 170 mil travel bike? I mean, I live in Georgia and we have some mountains here and some burlier trails, but that's just too much bike. And, you know, I've, I've found in most situations, uh, I've been testing this Rocky Mountain element, which is, a you know, essentially a cross country race bike. It's 120 front and 100 rear. You know, the, the way the suspension is designed and, you know, the larger wheels really help me descend way faster than I do on my official enduro bike with 160 mil of travel. So, it is nice to have a little bit of extra cushion, but I think you need to be honest with yourself about how much cushion you really need and how much is really necessary. So one more question about suspension, and I'm going to direct this to you, Aaron. Are the, is there a magic knob you can turn on your suspension to make it descend faster or you know be more effective at making you a better rider? I think Fox is working on the magic knob, but uh, <laughs> I probably won't be out to like 2020. Yeah, isn't there like a fast and a slow knob? Just... <laughs> exactly. No, it really is important to uh, get your suspension set up properly because, you know, if you have 180 millimeters at both ends, your bike could still ride like shit if you don't have it set up for the terrain and for your weight and all that kind of jazz. So, uh, you know, there's no one perfect setup for descending. It all depends on the type of trail, and you're kind of, uh, even within certain trail systems, you're going to have to make decisions. You know, everything's a compromise, basically, is what I'm saying. Like, you're going to have to decide, all right, maybe there's a few rough sections on this track, um, but m- overall, it's, you know, mostly smoother. Then you can run with a bit firmer suspension setup, so you have a better pedaling platform, and it's going to help you, you know, carry more speed on the smoother sections and you're just going to have to hold on a little bit tighter in the rough stuff. But if it's a really rough track, you know, like top to bottom, you're probably going to want a little bit of softer suspension setup so you have uh, more traction when you're going through, you know, the roots and rocks and stuff like that. So, yeah, so that's one thing you can do, and that's, you know, generally done by adjusting your air pressure. So that's your your spring rate. Uh, if you had a coil shock, then you'd be swapping out the springs. But uh, another thing is your to adjust is your rebound. You know, if you feel like your your suspension is packing up, that's when 
like after successive hits, like your your fork or your shock can't extend quick enough, and it feels like you you have less and less travel. Uh, you need to speed your rebound up a little bit. So there's tons of videos on suspension setup, but you know basically you know the baseline is to get your sag and your rebound and set right, you know, and then make smaller adjustments from there. So another important part of the bike setup and component selection that we've touched on already is a dropper post. Uh, so I won't go into that into any more detail other than to say, if you want to be fast, you need a dropper post to do that. All right. So what about tire selection? There seem to be competing priorities when it comes to tire selection. You could go with a low rolling resistance tire, or you could go with a grippy one. How do you make that decision when all you want to do is go fast? Again, we'll probably talk a lot about this, but there's a lot of, you know, there's pros and cons to each and you're going to be uh, trading one thing for another. But if you're descending like in the mountains and you've got a big old descent, generally rolling speed is not as much of a concern on the descending portion. So especially if you're racing enduro and you don't need to climb quick, you, know, you probably want to prioritize grip and traction. And that's generally what I shoot for is uh, as much grip and traction as possible. So that's my priority. Yeah, you know, we were talking about the uh, you know extra suspension being your insurance. On my bikes, I kind of use my tires as my extra insurance. So even on my like XC kind of bikes, I tend to run very aggressive tires just because I think that your tires can kind of bail you out of sketchy situations you know, maybe as much or more so than extra suspension can. So, you know, you want to, you want to run tires that you're confident in and that are, you, you know, that you can count on. So definitely want a lot of traction up front. The rear wheel uh, is going to follow the front wheel. So wherever the front wheel is going, the rear wheel is eventually going to get there. Uh, so it's kind of less of a concern with the rear tire if it breaks traction. But uh, as Greg mentioned earlier, Breaking traction on the front tire is a less than ideal situation, and it's a really good way to crash. Is breaking traction on the front tire, is that mainly something that happens in cornering? Uh, yeah, mainly if you don't have enough weight over the front tire or your body position isn't correct. Uh, you know, if you're not, if you don't have your weight centered over the bottom bracket, yeah, then that's a, that's probably the most common way to lose traction with the front tire. The other way is if you're just an amazing badass and you're drifting around a corner, you know, at hyperspeed like you're Chris Kovarik or something like that. But that's not too many of us can do that, sadly. You know, I break front traction a lot when I come into a corner expecting it to be one way and then it turns out to be a lot looser than I've anticipated. So I'm leaning too much for conditions and then it just like starts washing. So, you know, it depends on your soil as well. Okay, another piece of the component mix is brake selection. We talked about how to use brakes properly, so what's a good way to choose brakes that are going to help you get faster? The easiest way to get more power out of your brakes is to go with larger rotors. So, uh, you know, if you have like 160 mil rotors, you can bump up to 180, and if you have 180 and you still feel like you want more stopping power, you can bump up to, you know, 200 or 203 millimeter rotors, depending on what brand of brakes you have. Uh, you know, apart from the rotor size, you can you know, change out your brake set. So if you feel like you need the most power, probably a four-piston setup is better for you. You know, a lot of 
most like cross country and light duty trail brakes are going to be two piston, but the you know heavier enduro and downhill brakes are going to have four pistons for the most stopping power, and that usually comes with uh, larger uh, pads as well. So there's more surface area coming into contact with the rotor, which is going to help stop you quicker as well. Okay, let's talk about pedal selection. We may be wading into controversial territory here. What's your take on? clipless pedals versus flat pedals if your objective is to go faster on descents depends what you're more comfortable with but uh aaron Gwynn runs clipless so i do too and sam hill runs flats so there you go yeah it it really goes to your personal preference you know if the personally you know if the descents i'm doing have a lot of jumps like if it's more like a bike park situation and you know more just enjoying the descent and maybe not carrying so much about all out speed. Uh, I prefer flat pedals cause I'm just more comfortable getting airborne in flats. Now, if I'm going to be riding a bunch of chunky descents, uh, I like clips so my feet don't get bounced off the pedals. And, you know, so there's trade-offs to either one. Um, but if I was racing, um, I'd be wearing clips. And if you look at the world cup, there's, you know, a couple of flat pedal holdouts, but you know, if you go through the podiums and, of the past, I don't know, five plus years, you're going to see an overwhelming majority of riders on clipless pedals. Okay. Finally, since we're talking about going fast downhill, what are your recommendations for protective equipment? Yeah. So there's no shortage of, uh, equipment that you can wear, um, depending on, on your skill level and, uh, your, I guess your risk aversion, and also the kind of trails you're doing, you know, maybe if you're just trying to go fast on, you know, typical single track trails, you don't need to gear up quite as heavily. But if you're in a bike park situation or a race situation where, you know, maybe you don't care about carrying the extra weight up the climbs, then yes, yeah, some extra gear can be beneficial. And mainly, you know, what gearing up, like wearing, you know, wearing a, a proper helmet and, you know, knee pads and elbow pads and, uh, you know, maybe in a bike park situation, you're even wearing like a chest protector or, uh, you know, a neck brace or something like that. Those things just give you more confidence. You know, if you're dressed like a football player, you're going to feel like you can take some hits. Now, obviously you don't want to take those hits, but you know, you know that you, if you do come off your bike, then, uh, then it's not just going to be your skin between you and the ground. So, you know, I typically wear, uh, knee pads uh they you know come down a little ways down the shin I, I don't tend to like to wear shin pads as well i feel like they uh don't fit me as well and they kind of interfere with my pedaling and it's hard to keep them in place so i like i like to wear knee and if i'm going to a bike park obviously uh full face with some goggles and probably some uh, elbow protection as well well good this has been a pretty extensive conversation about getting faster on descents, but we haven't covered everything. So if you still have questions or there are specific things you want to know about, feel free to pop over to the single tracks forums and ask your question and maybe we'll answer it. Or maybe someone even smarter than us from the single tracks community will give you a great answer. Also, don't forget to rate the single tracks podcast. If you're enjoying it, that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.